Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Wassalatu wassalamu ala ashrafil anbiya'i wal mursaleen. Welcome everyone to a fourth video, inshallah, of this uh, wonderful series on, on Hajj. Uh, inshallah, I'll be going through um, my slides tonight. And um, I'll be uh, taking a step back a little bit from the uh, the previous uh, three presentations. Uh, Mashallah, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad and Sheikh uh, Suhail Hanif did an amazing job at uh, looking at the um, the essence of Hajj uh, in, in in the religion in terms of uh, rituals and in terms of um, its history and and, and and its cultural understanding. Uh, what I want to do here a little bit is, um, inshallah, focus on the significance of the place, uh, sacred space of Mecca, the city, the sacred space of, um, or the building of Kaaba, inshallah, um, and, and, and try to understand how uh, some aspects of the cultural and spiritual significance of Hajj are manifest or articulated um, in the space itself and how the space itself affects this, this aspect of um, its spirituality. And in order to do so, uh, one really has to uh, turn to uh, a variety of different references and sources. Um, previously, we've seen uh, an amazing uh, coverage of the Quranic verses on Hajj by Sheikh uh, Suhail Hanif um, and some of the cultural references to uh, Hajj and its significance by Sheikh Abdullah Murad. Uh, here also, what, I, what I'll do is uh, one has to actually turn to the uh, traditional stories and narratives that inform the uh, Muslim collective imagination and Muslim consciousness uh, about Mecca and the Kaaba and, and their significance. And one finds a lot of these, these, uh, these aspects in uh, historical books and texts like uh, Tabari's text, a history book, or Al-Azraqi, or Kisai and Yaqubi and others. And so I'll be drawing on some of those sources, inshallah, and, and trying to weave together a story uh, tonight uh, about the significance and, and power of our place. And the story really, the story of Mecca, the story of the Kaaba, really begins with um, the story of, of Adam and Eve, alayhim uh, as We are all familiar with the, with the story in the Quran about their, um, their masiyah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, their descent, eventual descent from heaven. Um, and then therein begins the story of really Mecca and uh, the Kaaba, with the primordial story of uh, our great mother and father uh, in heaven. And so in the Quran, we read that Adam and Hawa are cast out of Jannah. And the several verses in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah uh, illustrate this. So this is the um, Arabic Quranic verse that says, tells us the story of how Allah subhanahu said to Adam and his wife, uh, dwell in paradise and eat therefrom. Uh, but do not approach this tree, uh, otherwise you'll be among the wrongdoers. And uh, the shaitan, Satan, uh, made them slip. 
and uh, remove them from the condition of uh, purity, as it were, which they were in before. And Allah Subh'ala then tells them to descend, to go down uh, onto the earth, or into the earth uh, wherein they will have their dwelling for a time or a certain amount of time. Um, and in many of the traditions like Tabari and others, uh, we're told in the story, of course, uh, this is not provided by um, the Quran itself. And it's not necessarily provided by um, a lot of uh, Hadith traditions. Uh, but there are some weak traditions and there are some traditions from the Sahaba and Tabi'in that kind of uh, paint a vivid picture of uh, what happened next in this uh, unfolding drama. And so Adam, we are told, is sent to India. We have an authentic tradition in regards to this, that he, he was sent down and uh, the place in which he, uh, he arrived on earth uh, was India. In some traditions, uh, it's referred to uh, as uh, Sri Lanka. Um, but the majority of traditions really focus on India as an Indian subcontinent. Uh, there it is on the map. Uh, whereas uh, Hawa is sent down to the area just west of uh, Mecca uh, called Jeddah. Uh, and as it is referred to today, there's a city there in Jeddah uh, in, in Saudi Arabia, on the western coast of Arabia, on the Red Sea. And um, their departure from heaven, there, there's, in some ways, there's a both a vertical and horizontal separation here uh, in the story. There's a vertical separation from the primordial state of proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in heaven. So they descend vertically down to earth. Um, but these, these, this duo of male, female who were created uh, to uh, keep each other company and provide some kind of sakina for one another are also separated. So there's a dual separation here, a vertical separation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and a horizontal separation between uh, Adam and, and Hawa. Um, and so they, 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 they descend in, onto different parts of the earth and, and then begins the drama, uh, really, of, of the story of our, our great ancestors, the first, our first mother and first father. Um, <clears throat> and it is told that uh, Adam's descent is onto a mountain in India. Um, but at this point, because of his uh, recent proximity to Allah Taala and his recent residence in heaven, um, he is still able to somehow hear the praise of the angels in the heavens above. Uh, some scholars suggest that um, Adam's, Adam's size or the location on earth was um, such that uh, it was quite close to the heavens. Um, other scholars suggest that his recent departure from heaven meant that he was still able to hear the, uh, the vibration of those praises of the angels in the heavens above. Uh, no matter what the story, what happens uh, subsequently happens is, is actually quite fascinating. And this is, these are traditions related, of course, in these history books where uh, Adam salam, says, my Lord, I was your servant in your house, having no Lord but you and no one to watch out for me except you. There I had plenty to eat and could dwell wherever I wanted but then you cast me down to this holy mountain. And in some traditions, uh, there's a, Allah subhanahu wa replies here by saying, I cast you down because you uh, disobeyed me, Adam. And then Adam continues and says, there on this mountain, I used to hear the voices of the angels 
and see them crowd your throne and to sorry there in heaven i used to hear the voices of the angels and see them crowd your around your throne and to enjoy the sweet smell of paradise then and then of course the, the story continues nothing happens as a result of this descent in which adam alayhi salam is uh, yearning for paradise yearning for that proximity to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yearning for uh, hearing the voices of the angels as they throng around and circumambulate the throne of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he says, you cast me down to earth. I was cut off from the voices and the sight of the angels and the smell of paradise left me. And so here, uh, Adam is really lamenting his fate, uh, lamenting the fact that he disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and lamenting the fact that uh, gradually he senses uh, a movement away from this kind of state of being in paradise or the paradisiac state, which he carried with him to earth. And gradually he's losing the capacity to really hear the angels and understand their praise. And is coming to a full realization um, of the fact that, uh, that he would have to dwell on earth far from the praise of the angels and far from the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this, this kind of separation or this distance is creating a, a sense of agony and nostalgia as it were for, uh, for paradise and for that proximity. And this is quite a gradual process. So he descends from heaven, alayhi salam, but he's still able to uh, hear the angels uh, to a certain extent. Uh, he recalls the way in which they thronged the throne, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, but then it gradually dissipates and goes away uh, because he's uh, living the full implications or the full consequences of being uh, uh, sent out or cast out of paradise to dwell on earth in uh, the fullness of a, an embodied existence where he has to struggle and toil uh, to survive. And in some traditions, it is said that Allah uh, uh, teaches him through the angels how to weave and, and how to kill animals and eat and how to uh, uh, till the soil and, and grow plants, etc., etc. Um, but Adam's uh, yearning for paradise and his uh, his desire to 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 praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, does not cease. And so he asks, Adam asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if he is the only one on earth who praises him, for he yearns for God and hearing his praises. By this point, of course, he can no longer hear the angelic praises in heaven. And he is met with a deafening silence of this emptiness of this earth. And he wonders to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, am I the only one here who praises you? Um, and responding to this Adamic yearning, uh, Allah Taala uh, senses his uh, sense of distance and loneliness, and then he guides him to uh, go to Mecca. And of course, uh, Adam alayhi salam in the tradition is it is said that he made the journey from India to uh, Arabia or uh, India to Jeddah. Um, his journey is driven by a burning desire for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also a, a burning desire and passion for his companion Hawa. Uh, and, and this is it's quite fascinating and interesting how uh, the search uh, for uh, Hawa and the eventual meeting uh, in Mecca is, is driven by this dual desire um, for, um, for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and for the feminine. Uh, and in many aspects of the later Islamic tradition, and especially in the poetic tradition, 
there's so much literature on how the Kaaba is a arus, uh, a bride on her on her uh, on her marriage uh, uh, night, uh, awaiting her beloved uh, to come and visit. Um, and this idea of the Kaaba being shrouded and veiled uh, derives its, its motif from this primordial burning passion and desire and yearning that Azim has for his feminine half, um, whom he seeks, uh, the company, uh, that human company that he seeks on earth as he finds himself uh, cast out of paradise. And so he's driven by his love for Ahawa also. And he goes to Mecca guided by an angel. And um, what's so remarkable is, is that he finds Hawa in Mecca. So uh, she travels from Jeddah uh, eastward a little bit to the valley of Mecca or Becca. Um, it's a barren valley, red dust and soil. Nothing grows there as the Quran describes it. And uh, they meet and uh, Hawa draws near. She sees uh, Adam alayhi salam coming forth over the horizon and she draws near and it's caught like in Arabic, Muzdalifa uh, comes from the root word Al-Zuluf which suggests the idea of uh, drawing near to something. This is where the term Muzdalifa according to the traditions or some traditions get its name from. And of course they recognize each other over a certain distance. Uh, and uh, which is the Arabic word Arafa, uh, which we, we get where we get the word uh, Arafat. So Arafat really is the place in which they uh, come together and recognize one another. Um, and of course, this is a prefiguration of the of Arafa itself, Yom Arafa, where we stand um, in recognition of uh, of, of our um, of our primordial covenant with Allah Subhanahu wa Taala, which is something we're going to Come, come across uh, a little bit later. And so they're united um, in this uh, remarkable uh, place in Mecca. And so this kind of primal choreography of searching for one another, for searching for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and searching for one another as humans, uh, traces out the, uh, the sacred geography of the first holy land, as it were, uh, granted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to humanity. And so the outline, as it were, of the uh, the Holy Land is really defined by, or traced out by the yearning for Allah Subhanahu and the love and yearning for uh, for Adam and 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 how I have for one another, which is which is quite fascinating and, and remarkable and it's quite beautiful, uh, and it reminds us of um, the deep significance and meaning of these places when we when we visit uh, Mecca. Now, of course. Some of, may, some of you may have already noticed that um, the uh, uh, Mecca is here in Muzdalifah and Arafat, uh, all the way out here. The Haram, the sanctuary of Mecca, extends beyond just the mosque and covers a large part um, of the city itself. And so uh, here we have the, the germinating uh, seeds, as it were, of the first house of God uh, on earth that results from this primordial yearning from Allah SWT. And it is often, it is said in traditions mentioned by Tabari and others that Allah SWT says, I have 
a sacred territory around my throne. This is Allah Ta'ala speaking to Adam salam. I have a sacred territory around my throne. Go and build a house for me there. Then crowd around it, as you have seen my angels crowd around my throne. So this is Allah really responding to Adam's nostalgia for seeing, hearing the praise of the angels and seeing them crowd around the arsh, the throne. And Allah directs him to a spot on earth in which um, uh, in which he can build a temple or a house for Allah that is a mirror image of uh, the uh, temple of heaven. And these are some of the, the image here is uh, reflective of some of the ways in which the medieval Islamic tradition imagined the throne to be. And you can see this kind of fourfold structure of the throne uh, very much resembling the um, fourfold structure of the Kaaba that we will see a little bit later. Um, in another tradition, it is said that Allah Taala says, Adam, I have cast down a house for you to circumambulate as one circumambulates my throne and to pray at it as one prays at my throne. And what's so significant about this particular tradition is it, it shows that it is Allah Taala who has cast down the house from heaven. It's not so much that it's something that humans uh, have contrived. It's not so much that it's something that's um, built out of, of some kind of a a cultural projection or a limited human understanding of what a sanctuary may be, but rather it is something that Allah SWT, uh, casts down and projects onto earth. And this is really, really important in our understanding of sacred history and sacred geography uh, to understand that uh, many of the rituals we perform on earth, like the Hajj or the Salat, and many of the, the sacred spaces that we have, we, we hold most dear, like the Kaaba and Mecca, uh, are not human inventions. They're not human projections of a particular culture, uh, a particular cultural way of, of performing a ritual, of a particular cultural way of building, uh, uh, which we then claim is somehow uh, divine, but rather it is a, a projection of heaven onto earth. And I'll come back to this idea again in the last few slides where we talk about the primordial, the universal nature of Islam. And so to Continue on with this idea that um, the Kaaba is a, uh, a primordial house of God on earth that is brought down from the heavens. And Azraqi, uh, a great historian, one of the early historians in the Islamic tradition, writes that the uh, Prophet of, Allah, of God, Allah SWT, uh, said that this house is one of 15, so this the Kaaba is one of 15 houses, seven in the heavens above, all the way up to the throne and seven all the way down to the limits of the lowest earth. The highest situated one, which is near the throne, is the frequented house, Al-Bayt Al-Ma'mur. Every one of these houses has a sacred territory like that of the Kaaba. If any one of them fell down, the rest would fall down, one upon the other to the limits of the lowest earth. And every house has its heavenly or earthly worshippers like the Kaaba. Um, and in, in some of the medieval Islamic uh, traditional miniature traditions, um, you see this depiction of um, the seven heavens um, and also sometimes the seven earths, but here uh, only have an image of the seven heavens. And you can see how, uh, um, uh, though it's a figurative representation, which is something that is quite frowned upon in the Islamic tradition, of course, um, uh, it does nonetheless reflect the uh, multiple levels of heaven and in each level of heaven, there's a different host of people um, that mirror one another. So 
if this, if this is our earthly realm and one can ascend up on a ladder to the next level and the next level and the next level until one gets to the highest level, it's almost like uh, a spiral, as it were. Um, and we're going to see the importance and significance of this spiral uh, movement of seven levels up uh, in the significance of the uh, tawaf uh, and the manner in which the tawaf around the Kaaba, which starts at the black stone um, seven times around the Kaaba, is, is uh, symbolic of a, a seven level ascent in a spiral manner, always coming back to the same point, but then ascending to a higher level and higher level through the various uh, Kaabas of the heavens, as it were, all the way up to uh, the, the, the throne. And um, this image also beautifully portrays this idea um, that uh, the, the, have the earthly uh, Kaaba or the earthly domain is really um, uh, the last of uh, many uh, levels of reality above it. Um, each one above being more real than the one below. And so if we look at this diagram here of the spiral, as it were, we can see that um, the spiral, although we humans start here at the bottom and ascend upwards in our movements, the origins of the Kaaba and the origins of, our, uh, of, the, of the structure of the Kaaba itself as a form uh, is, is, uh, is that it, it originated from above. And, and that the frequented house above here, around the Arsh, um, the closest uh, originates the original uh, archetype, as it were, or the original exemplary uh, uh, temple that through that has its equivalent in all the seven levels of heaven, including the, our earthly representation of it. Uh, so the, our earthly Kaaba, of course, and the temple in, the, in its circularity of form and its, in its fourfold structure resemble very much the um, the uh, Arsh um, and the frequent house and Beit al-Mahmur in the highest heavens. And so when one circumambulates the Kaaba, one is really ascending all the way up through a spiral movement upwards. Um, and so therefore, um, in, in this sense, the, the Kaaba then becomes a, a center of a vertical axis, uh, which is illustrated in this diagram here uh, upwards, where um, the earthly uh, Kaaba is linked vertically upwards with a whole host of other Kaabas above. But Abbas is reported to have said that God created the Kaaba and placed it on water upon four pillars 2,000 years before he created our earthly realm. And of course, the Kaaba he's talking about here is the, the Kaabas above the our physical Kaaba. And then when he created this world, our world um, is from this Kaaba that, the, uh, that he placed, um, that the earth was spread out. And so uh, we can see how when we visit the Kaaba in Mecca, therefore, we're really going back to uh, the, the center uh, of the world, as it were, from which uh, the earth then spread out. Above it, there is the Kaaba in the first heaven and the Kaaba in the second heaven, the Kaaba in the third heaven, etc. All of them uh, mirroring one another. So when we talk about the Kaaba in, in, in Mecca, we're not really talking about um, just one, one building, one structure. Uh, we're talking about the, all the other structures and levels of reality that are implied by our earthly Kaaba. 
um, one can imagine um, that the, the Kaaba is 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 one of many uh, in, in a hierarchy of um, of Kaabas all the way up to the, the throne. And this links beautifully with the tradition that the Kaaba was brought down to earth, uh, that our earthly Kaaba is uh, merely uh, one uh, mirror image of several others uh, above it. And this is also articulated in several other traditions in which uh, reporting after the Prophet Ibn Abbas says, when before the creation of heaven and earth, the throne was upon the water, God Most High sent a soft wind that struck the water, unveiling at the position of his house, the Kaaba, a piece of rock like a dome. God stretched out the earths from beneath it. It swayed and swayed again, so God Most High pegged it by mountains, and the, and the first mountain placed therein was Abu Qubais, and that is why Mecca was called the mother of towns. And Abu Qubais is a mountain at the edge of the Haram in Mecca. Uh, unfortunately, many uh, part, large parts of this mountain have been carved out um, and uh, due to construction that's happening in Mecca. But in one of these earlier images, you can still see parts of the uh, mountain there rising above the city. And of course, this hadith reiterates this idea that uh, Mecca, uh, as this image here shows us, is considered the navel of the earth, the surat al-art, the, um, the, uh, the omphalos at the center of the world, as it were. And uh, you see that in many uh, medieval Islamic maps, Mecca sits at the very center of the globe, as it were. Uh, there have been recent attempts also to show that um, Mecca is at the center of the, um, of the, of the globe also using the um, various calculations. But in the medieval Muslim maps, this, this beautifully illustrates how uh, Muslims saw the whole world somehow um, as a periphery um, and the center here with the Kaaba. Uh, Al-Kisai, one of the great um, scholars, early scholars says, know that the center of the earth, according to a tradition on the authority of the Prophet is the Kaaba. It has the significance of the navel of the earth because of its rising above the level uh, of the earth. And so that is one of the reasons why it's described as Umm al-Qura. Um, umm in Arabic, of course, means mother, mother of towns. And a mother of towns is one that gives birth to all of all other towns. And so one can consider it to be, given that it was the first sanctuary, uh, it was the first primal uh, original town, as it were, that gave birth to all other towns. But more importantly, not only that, uh, Mecca sits at the center uh, of the world. And the center, of course, is where the axis is that links up to, to heaven. But also, um, it's the axis at which, um, it's the point at which there's no differentiation. And so, like the children that come to um, their mother, uh, where the mother does not differentiate their love uh, to her children, Likewise, the relationship of all the regions to uh, Mecca is like a mother that bestows her love and care upon all the other uh, regions of, um, of the world. And we're going to see the significance of this in the, in the, in the rituals of the Hajj uh, in a few more slides. So if we look at uh, many medieval maps, all the Islamic maps of the world or the Islamic world, we'll see uh, something quite curious, really. 
Uh, Mecca is placed right at the center um, of a wheel, as it were, uh, where the radii, the radii outwardly, uh, link uh, the various regions of the world uh, to the center. So all the names here on the periphery of this circle, with these niches, this small niche, each niche being a region or a country, and they're all really oriented toward the center, which is uh, which is the the Kaaba uh, right here. And this image here really shows how uh, medieval Muslims saw the whole world revolving around this uh, the center. And one shouldn't take it literally. It's not so much in the sense that um, the map is an accurate representation of how the world physically looks, but rather it's a symbolic representation of how the world uh, it is in regards to its center, which is Mecca. And so all these lines somehow converge on the center here, the Kaaba. It's quite remarkable in modern maps, when you look at the Kaaba, you'll see that it's located right at the center of the Afro-Eurasian Afro um, landmass, almost equidistance between um, North America in the far west and uh, Japan in the far east and South Africa in the far south and um, the North Pole in the, in the far north. And so the Kaaba then is the primordial house of God uh, on earth, projected or brought down um, in, uh, from heaven. But it's brought down in a specific way. It's not so much that the stones were brought down from heaven, but its form was brought down uh, from heaven. Uh, for it is God himself who helped Adam establish the first house, Al-Bayt Al-Atik, as it is called um, in Arabic, the, the ancient house, as it were. And it is said that Jibreel himself directed Adam to the site where the first temple should be built. And Azraki writes that Adam descended with a, with a hollow red ruby that has four white corners and laid it upon the foundation. So the, the rubies, the jewels that were brought down from heaven, uh, including the uh, black stone, which we'll see later, these were all brought down with Adam uh, from heaven. Um, and also uh, he was instructed to lay it down four white, four corners upon the foundations. And upon those foundations, he then built um, the, the, the Kaaba. Um, it's worth mentioning that uh, originally um, in the time of Adam and probably in the time of Ibrahim salam also, uh, up until uh, just before the period of, of, of uh, Muhammad the Kaaba didn't really have a roof. It was a four-walled sanctuary structure with no roof on top. And so it was open to the sky, as it were. This fourfold structure that we see uh, today um, is uh, related to its kind of primordial geometric elemental uh, nature, uh, similar to the kind of images we saw earlier on the, about the throne of God being a fourfold structure or a square. Uh, the form of Adam's house then becomes a reflection of the Bayt al-Mahmur, the celestial model. <clears throat> After the first structure is, is set up, of course, um, they begin the practice of circumambulation. And as we saw earlier, Adam salam, had already seen the angels perform the circumambulation around the throne and in the Bayt al-Mahmur and the various levels of heaven. And so the circumambulation then of uh, the, the, the perform in the ritual of Hajj around the Kaaba 
is, is not so much a cultural ritual, it's a primordial ritual performed by, uh, by primordial beings at all levels of existence. Uh, our earthly circumambulation is a mirror of um, the circumambulation of all uh, angelic beings on all levels of existence, subhanAllah. It's a mirror image of something that's happening above. So when we do perform the ritual of circumambulation, tawaf, we are really inserting ourselves into a rhythm, a higher order rhythm that repeats itself at every level of existence. It's, it's, it's an amazing uh, realization really to know that um, one's performing a ritual that is also performed by angels. And so um, an angel taught Adam the rites of circumambulation in the same manner in which they performed the circumambulation in the heavens. And um, it is one tradition, it is said that the angels tell Adam that he performed the rituals faultlessly and inform him that they had been performing this circumambulation for 2,000 years before he came, um, which suggests the, the ancientness of, um, of the, not only the act of circumambulation, but also the ancientness of the, uh, the ritual itself and the, and the, and the Kaaba. Um, and of course, as we said earlier, Adam brought the black stone from, with him from paradise. It was originally whiter than snow, and it was uh, uh, darkened by the sins of humanity, as it were, over time. Now, up until this point in the story, of course, um, the, the Kaaba uh, is there, and the prophets keep performing circumambulation of it, until the great flood uh, mentioned in the Quran, uh, in reference to Nuh alayhi salam, where um, the uh, Kaaba is said to have been lifted, not so much destroyed, but lifted into heaven. Um, but up until that point, all the prophets and all the peoples performed circumambulation, of course, around it. And when we turn to the Quran, we see the very famous story of um, the Ibrahim alayhi salam being commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to re-establish and restore the house of God. And uh, Sheikh uh, Suhail Hanif and Sheikh Abdelhamad uh, spoke at length about the rituals of Hajar and Ismail and Ibrahim alayhi salam when he sent out his uh, wife Hajar and his son Ismail out into the desert, the valley of Bakka, the barren land. Um, not knowing where he should do or where he should build the temple, uh, he said in tradition, that Adam alayhi salam, uh, Ibrahim, Ibrahim salam asked, Oh Lord, but where? And God replied, We shall show you. And it is said that a, a God, Allah sent the Sakina, uh, a cloud that directed him to the sacred spot. And, and, and the cloud almost assumed uh, a form, uh, the form of the house. And the Sakina said, Oh Abraham, your Lord orders you to design according to the measure of this cloud. And in some traditions, it is said that Ibrahim salam traced out the shadow of the cloud itself on the, on the ground. And that's how he derived the form. Um, it's quite interesting, the, the reference here to Sakina, because we know that um, Sakina is a, 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 a repose and a peace that Allah allows to descend into the hearts of his believers. And so here the Sakina plays this remarkable role of, of, of outlining the the, the primordial temple that um, it, the Quran describes that uh, we established for Abraham or Ibrahim alayhi salam the place of the house as residence. Ibrahim al And then in the, in, the, in the subsequent verses, of course, and when Abraham and Ismail were raising the foundations of the house, 
Ibrahim salam prayed, our Lord accept this from us, you are the hero, the knower. And so the, um, the rebuilding of the temple really is a reiteration of uh, the primordial act of uh, Adam salam erecting the first temple, first house, Bayt al-Atiq, to dedicate it to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَإِذْ يَرْفَعُ إِبْرَاهِيمُ قَوَاعِدَ مِنَ الْبَيْتِ وَإِسْمَعِيلُ رَبَّنَا تَقَبَّلْ مِنَّا إِنَّكَ أَنْتَ السَّمِيعُ الْعَلِيمُ By the time we get to the Prophet ﷺ, of course, uh, Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is um, only re-establishing, reiterating uh, an ancient uh, primordial tradition that starts with Adam السلام, and, and, and ends with him. But in, in many ways, uh, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, is like Adam in the sense that um, they are both prophets uh, sent as universal prophets. Uh, Adam alayhi salam uh, emerges at the very beginning of the story of the human race um, as a prophet. Um, uh, to, uh, the universal message, establishing this universality uh, of the message at the very beginning. And Muhammad sallallahu emerges at the end of, of time, at the end of um, a long human journey, reiterating the universality of the Adamic message. And uh, we're going to explain what that means in a minute. Uh, but the directionality, the Qibla, um, established uh, by the Kaaba, uh, to which people then uh, direct themselves from the very beginning until the prophetic period had a very profound significance. We saw earlier the map that shows the Kaaba at the center of, of a sacred cartography, a sacred map in which all, all, uh, all elements or, or, or people on the periphery or regions or, or countries or, or tribes or cultures uh, turned towards that center. Um, and when Prophet Muhammad وسلم, was given the uh, uh, initially to uh, pray towards Jerusalem, and then the, 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 the Qibla was, was changed. It was changed for a very profound reason, of course. And um, in a wonderful text by, um, by Samani, recently published, which uh, Sheikh Abdul Hakim uh, referenced in his talk, um, it is said that Muhammad's Mi'raj uh, is seen to have begun uh, when he earned the title Al Sadiq Al Amin. And so when he earned the title of Sadiq Al-Amin, he had achieved this status of a, an absolutely virtuous human being, um, which, from which he ascended uh, to a state of uh, prophecy and then a state of messengerhood. And when he attained this state, uh, it was revealed to him uh, that it was now granted uh, to him, as it were, the original Qibla, about which the Quran says, we have seen the turning of your face to heaven. We shall therefore make you turn towards the Qibla that pleases you to turn your face towards the Holy Mosque and you are Muslims, wherever you may be, turn your faces towards it. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Uh, and so this uh, directionality towards um, the Qibla is uh, by virtue of uh, the purity and sanctity of our Prophet Muhammad who earned the status of um, uh, prophecy and messengerhood 
Umrah's granted the original Qibla of Adam alayhi salam and uh, Muhammad salam's grandfather Ibrahim alayhi salam. And so when he was granted his own Nahraj to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which the Quran describes as Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Subhanallah asra bi-habdihi layla min al-Masjid al-Haram ila al-Masjid al-Aqsa al-Ladhi barakna hawlahu liruriyahu min ayyatina innahu wa sami'ul basir when Allah Ta'ala granted him his mi'raj from the Masjid al-Haram to Masjid al-Aqsa and then all the way up to his divine presence in which he gave him the salat as a ritual prayer to his ummah in which the salat then according to Hadith of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the salat then becomes a mi'raj, an ascent for every believer and of course the salat is a uh, prayer it's a ritual performed in the direction of the Kaaba and so the directionality of the prayer towards the Kaaba uh, in many ways resembles the uh, directionality of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu from Al-Sadiq Al-Amin to prophecy messengerhood all the way up to uh, his own Mi'raj to meeting with Allah and what the ritual prayer really teaches us about the significance of the Kaaba and um, Mecca is that it opens up a space or a unique relationship with space and time uh, that unfolds before the, the worshipper. Um, this diagram here in this slide really reflects or articulates uh, what I'm talking about here. So in some traditions, it is often said that the, there is more than one Qibla, of course. Um, not, it's not meant that uh, there's more than one direction to pray in, but that behind every, behind the, every Qibla, there's another Qibla, and there's another Qibla, and another Qibla, until one really uh, turned towards the Supreme Qibla. Uh, so the first Qibla being the niche, the mihrab or the wall. So when one stands to pray, in the direction of the Kaaba. Wherever one may be on earth, the first real, first, um, as it were, veil um, or Qibla is really the wall before one. And the second one is the Kaaba, to which really one is really oriented towards. The third is really the frequented house, Bayt al-Mahmur. So beyond the Kaaba, the earthly Kaaba, one is also oriented towards Al-Bayt al-Mahmur, which is the exemplary model in heaven of the Kaaba. So uh, there's the wall and beyond the wall one is directed towards the Kaaba on earth and then beyond the uh, Kaaba on earth really one is oriented to vertically towards the Bayt al-Mahmur and then uh, Al-Qursi, the fourth is the Qursi and the fifth is the Arsh itself. The sixth is Allah of course because ultimately Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the ultimate um, uh, uh, Qasad of our or objective, of our direction, our Qibla towards the Kaaba. And the seventh is divine essence itself as that to which, uh, though we may have no understanding of the essence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we hadirukum Allah nafsah, as a Quranic verse constantly reminds us that we can never know, we can nonetheless direct ourselves towards, uh, towards it. And so these are reflected really uh, by the seven veils of our own existence, as it were. The corresponding to the Qibla wall, the first niche is the Qibla of the face, and the body, al-jasad. So one orients oneself towards the wall with one's face and one's body. But 
one's real intention uh, in that orientation is uh, the Qibla towards the Kaaba, because that's what we are commanded to do. But deeper within, of course, uh, we are oriented by our soul and the nafs towards the frequented house and Bayt al-Mahmur. And uh, beyond that, we are oriented towards the footstool by our intellect. And beyond that, the heart is oriented uh, towards the arsh, the throne. And then beyond that, this, the secret, a sir, is oriented towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in some traditions, it's said that the sir, the sir, the, the, that which is within the heart, uh, the sir of the sir, or uh, the deepest recesses of our existence and being, is ultimately uh, directed towards the divine essence itself. And so uh, these become diaphanous veils, as it were. Uh, what I mean by diaphanous veil is a veil is something that conceals something else behind it. But when it, the veil becomes diaphanous, it uh, becomes almost transparent. Then we're able to see beyond one veil and the second veil and the third veil, and they become transparent um, surfaces, as it were, that show us uh, the real cosmos the real object of our heart's desire, and that is ultimately Allah Subh'ala. And as long as these veils remain uh, opaque, uh, thick, uh, they don't allow that kind of penetration beyond the sea, uh, beyond. And so uh, each one of these levels, of course, of our reality of our existence requires a certain kind of uh, uh, journey. So one could see, for example, that the, uh, the ascent or the journey from uh, beyond seeing the wolf as just a wall requires an ascent to see the, the, the Kaaba behind the wall. And that requires an ascent to a third level of witnessing the, uh, ourselves praying um, uh, towards the frequented house, Bayt al-Mahmur. And likewise, um, the footstool. And so we, one can see this also as the seven levels of ascent in the Hajj. So one goes beyond the, um, the, uh, the, the, the wall, as it were, Tawaf. Uh, one ascends to uh, the frequented house, and then from there, one ascends to perform Tawaf at the level of the footstool on the throne, and et cetera, et cetera. So, these um, these represent really levels uh, and stages in our journey to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Of course, uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala constantly reminds us in the Quran, He is closer to you than your jugular vein, and um, that and He is with you wherever you may be, or in whichever state you may be upon. Uh, and so, these Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is uh, constantly uh, near us. Uh, but uh, the, this language of uh, penetrating beyond the veils is because we are veiled from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not so much that God is distant from us, but that we are distant from God. And so it requires that we act uh, upon ourselves to bridge the distance, uh, overcome the obstacles, and uh, reconnect with that primordial paradisial state, as it were, that um, uh, even Adam alayhi salam, upon descending from heaven, was already yearning for. And so a very important point um, here to illustrate <coughs> is that 
uh, I said earlier that uh, Adam alayhi salam and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam are both universal prophets, the first prophet and the last prophet uh, sent to all humanity. Um, and uh, that is very, very important to, to bear in mind because uh, the Islam is the message that Adam alayhi salam came with. Islam is the message, uh, the deen al-fitrah, the primordial religion that all prophets came with. And it's something that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi came to reiterate. Whereas previous prophets before Muhammad sallallahu alayhi uh, came to particular peoples and particular languages, particular cultures. Uh, Muhammad Sallallahu was the only prophet uh, after Adam, of course, um, early, the only prophet um, from from uh, the sons of Adam all the way on to Isa um, Sallam. After that, he is the only prophet to have been sent to all of humanity. And there's something significant here to be drawn out that Shaykh Hakim already touched upon in his first talk, and that is the the um, Islam is not a religion of the Arabs. It's not a religion of a particular people. It's not a religion of a particular language or a particular culture. It really is uh, God's new yet old covenant with uh, humanity itself. Uh, a reiteration of all pre previous messages. Um, and, and the significance of this really lies in the fact that um, uh, it, it, it reiterates that primordial covenant that Allah made with Adam and the sons of Adam, or the children of Adam, at the very beginning of time. And Allah says in the Quran, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, وَإِذْ أَخَذَ رَبُّكَ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمَ مِنْ ظُهُورِهِمْ ذُرِّيَّتَهُمْ وَأَشْهَدَهُمْ عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ أَلَسْتُ بِرَبِّكُمْ قَالُوا بَلَىٰ In the words of the Quran, when your Lord brought forth from the children of Adam, from their loins, their seed, and made them testify of themselves, he said, am I not your Lord? They said, yes, yes, yea, we testify. And in some traditions, like in Tabari and others, they mentioned that Allah Taala literally brought out from the uh, loins of Adam uh, his entire human race and stood them before him, literally. And they were like small, small ants, as it were. Um, and and, the, and they, we all testified to that Allah Taala indeed is our Lord. Um, and so the, uh, the standing on Arafah, of course, uh, reiterates that primordial covenant at the very beginning of time, which is a prefiguration of the standing before our Lord on the Day of Judgment, where for the third time we get to stand, all of us, before our Lord. And um, this reiteration of the primordial message of uh, Adam, alayhi salam, uh, suggests that Islam is, of course, the deen al-fitrah, the primordial religion. And the primordial religion is a significant point um, to illustrate and to constantly emphasize in regards to Islam, because it's a level of our being um, that is beyond any specific uh, cultural value or preferences. It's beyond any specific linguistic um, uh, uh, perspectives. It's beyond any kind of uh, other categories of distinction. It's really the primordial natural disposition that exists at the deepest level of, of our being, or all human beings. And I, I love illustrating it with this particular image here, the, the fitra being this level here at the very uh, depths of the earth, uh, beneath the differences of topography on the, on the face of the earth, beneath it all, that's really uh, a primordial uh, um, uh, substance. Uh, of, of, of our primordial being. And 
These consist of the universal truths and patterns found across all cultures, all religions. Um, and why that's significant today in today's world, especially in the 21st century, is because um, uh, often people talk about Islam as just another religion like Christianity and Judaism and Buddhism. Um, but it's a misconception of the nature of Islam to see it as just another religion. Rather, Islam is uh, uh, the primordial religion. It's a religion that includes all religions within it, but it also subsumes them and predates them and antedates them. It's, it's, a, it's the inner reality uh, of our human nature, uh, fully articulated as a way of life. And uh, this is extremely important um, and with something we witness uh, again and again in all the rituals of Islam, including the Hajj. And so the Hajj, of course, uh, one of the first conditions of performing the Hajj is that we, we have to shed all, all kinds of human distinctions. And so the distinction between rich and poor is shed and left outside the sanctuary of the Haram itself. When we perform the Haram, we, we shed anything that suggests that we are either rich or poor. And so we dress uh, white, you know, a very basic white, uh, uh, not even clothes really, but white rags. Uh, you can't really tell who's rich and who's poor dressed in those. We shave our heads and um, we, we shed our ethnic distinctions and our linguistic distinctions. And we, we shed all sorts of different kinds of distinctions that are uh, largely or to a certain extent um, constructs of, of our civilizational process. And uh, we stand before our Lord merely as the human beings uh, we were created, merely as the uh, universal beings um, and servants of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The, the only real distinction that matters in Hajj is that we are servants standing before our Lord. That's the only distinction that really matters. Um, and of course, we perform a tawaf, and a tawaf causes a circumambulation around a building. It does not belong to any particular culture. It does not belong to any particular uh, practice. It doesn't have any icons that belong to a particular conception of God. Uh, Tawaf really is a primordial movement of the human being, a sevenfold movement around uh, the Kaaba, uh, mirroring this, the sevenfold movement of the angels around the throne itself. And so here we participate in a cosmic rhythm, uh, not a cultural rhythm anymore. We left, lifted out of our cultural distinctions. And this is very beautifully illustrated also in the very architecture of uh, the Kaaba itself. Uh, the, the black cube of the Kaaba is a primordial architecture. It's a, it's a structure that does not portray a belonging to any architectural language. It's amazing how the architecture of Islam quintessentially defined by uh, its non-architectural, its non-cultural language. Uh, it's very elemental, it's very geometric. Um, it, it, it's built uh, upon the, 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 the basis of the geometric square and circle. Uh, with, a, with, with a, these are elements that belong to all cultures and no culture. Actually, geometry uh, subsumes, or geometry is a substrate of all form. And so um, uh, one, 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 one shouldn't say, uh, therefore, that the quintessential uh, Islamic architectural building is um, um, a square with a dome on top. While that does represent the mosque, the quintessential architecture of Islam, we have to remind ourselves constantly is the Kaaba and nothing else. And 
And so this geometric geometry, this uh, this these uh, circles, the sacred symbols, uh, uh, these uh, are really a, an architectural language and vocabulary that reminds us of um, the primordial nature of Islam. To return to the primordial substrate of our being, the state of paradise in proximity to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And so, um, one can really look back then and say that the um, the, uh, the primordial architecture here, the primordial form of primordiality of the rituals really uh, reflect this uh, return to this Adamic state uh, in which we're constantly yearning and searching for uh, Allah And this grants uh, the place in Mecca and the Kaaba a sanctity and a, and, a, and a virtue not possessed by any other uh, place on earth. In the Islamic tradition, we have this uh, large body of literature called um, Fada'il literature, uh, the, the, um, which discuss the virtues of certain lands and certain territories. And first and foremost, of course, is the holy land uh, in Mecca around the, around the Haram and the Kaaba, in which it is said that prayers, uh, of course, uh, are multiplied. The, the hasanat of prayers are multiplied, but also the spiritual benefits of prayers are intensified, where spiritual knowledge is granted in more than any other place on earth where healing of the heart occurs much faster and much swifter than any other place on earth. Um, it's also quite interesting uh, that many of the scholars in the past, including uh, the Caliph Omar, used to uh, not encourage people to dwell too long, those who came to visit Mecca and the Kaaba, um, so that people don't go accustomed to, <coughs> to being in its presence and therefore become complacent but rather the, the, the whole uh, fact of um, being separated from the Kaaba, <clears throat> going back to your homeland, increases the shock and yearning for uh, the Kaaba itself and, and, and seeing it once again in its return. And so um, <clears throat> I hope inshallah I've been able to convey this uh, primordial aspect of the Kaaba uh, tonight. There's this image here that um, is the first image I use on the first slide. <clears throat> I don't really want to touch on um, this point too much, but I do want to point out uh, to many of you out there that um, there's a reason why the Hijr here exists and why we're not allowed to perform Tawaf within here. And the fundamental primordial reason given for this is that, and this is confirmed by a prophetic tradition, um, which is that uh, the, the Kaaba uh, had an original form quite uh, slightly different from the form it has uh, today. And that is related to uh, the fact that um, on one of its sides here, it was actually um, a circular, semi-circular structure, which suggests that at some point in its history, uh, the Kaaba had a square shape and also added to it, its original structure was, was this. So it looked like a heel of a foot, as it were, here. Uh, like this, um, and Muhammad Sallallahu himself recognized that uh, at some point this was part of the original structure of the building, uh, open to the sky, and uh, he said in a famous hadith that if the people of Quraysh were not uh, uh, recently, had not recently um, been in the Jahiliyyah, <clears throat> so they were recent converts to Islam, he would have recommended that it, it return to its original form. <clears throat> And that's partly one of the reasons why uh, this is considered part of the sanctuary itself. 
and why no one is allowed uh, in here. But then <clears throat> that's, that opens up uh, 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 another topic that we don't have time to cover uh, tonight, inshallah. Uh, I'm going to stop sharing my screen and we'll go to uh, a little bit of Q&A, inshallah, before um, we, uh, we end the session, inshallah. Okay, I'm going to uh, try to answer some of the questions uh, we have here. Uh, uh, are there, there's a, will you expand more on the black stone tonight? Um, unfortunately, no, I'm not going to uh, uh, cover too much more on the black stone. Um, I thought I thought uh, I would try to cover uh, uh, themes and topics that uh, that weren't covered uh, before and not going to be covered uh, after. Uh, given the, the Kaaba's primordial and pure origin and meaning, why did the people of Mecca end up putting idols in it? Um, I think that may perhaps have to do with the fact that uh, uh, over time, of course, uh, we observe in human history, over time there is a... a, a um, a movement uh, away from from origin, as it were, a movement away from the primordial truth. Uh, as people become more immersed in um, in earthly life, um, they tend to forget the point of origin. And uh, it's interesting that, um, unlike the the story told in uh, Western uh, comparative religious studies, where it's often said that. Uh, uh, the original religions were all polytheistic and then monotheism was the late comer on the scene. Uh, Islam, of course, we, 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 we don't believe that, of course. Um, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's, there's enough evidence to suggest otherwise. And there are many scholars like Wilhelm Schmidt and, and others in the Western tradition who have shown, uh, using the anthropological data, comparative religion, that in fact monotheism has always been uh, the, the origin and polytheisms and idolatry have been a deviation from it. So. To answer this question, then, um, idolatry is always a, a tendency of moving away from the uh, monotheistic truth, um, largely because of uh, people drifting away from uh, the reality of the primordial experience and erecting uh, false images and concepts and idols in place of that original truth. And so, the, hence, the necessity of Allah sending constant reminders and the events that unfolded uh, between the, pe the period of Ibrahim salam and the pe period of Muhammad salam uh, are no different. Um, gradually, Arabs of Arabia lost sight of the primordial monotheism and gradually um, gave in to the temptation to associate um, other powers with God. Of course, the tendency towards polytheism uh, can be partly explained by the human ten tendency to find intermediary understandings of God and attach themselves to those intermediary conceptions. Uh, it's a tendency uh, within human beings in general sometimes to, um, to, to do that. And once that becomes crystallized for long enough amongst the people, um, it, it turns into a very serious idolatry. So to give you an example, um, uh, in Islam we worship Allah but we also know that Allah possesses 99 divine names. Uh, now imagine, uh, you know, when Muslims, when a Muslim feels that uh, they need rizq 
for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they say, Ya Razak, Razakni. Right? Now, the Islamic understanding, of course, of Razak for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Razak is just a name that points to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even though it's a name that reflects a certain aspect of Allah, which is God insofar as he gives rizq. Or Ar-Rahman is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala insofar as he is compassionate. But imagine you would then you would that uh, then Muslims were to come along several generations after now, after our age, or several centuries later, and say they're gonna they're gonna create a statue uh, to Ar Rahman. And when they turn in prayer, they're gonna say Ya Rahman and look at the statue and say Ya Rahman Arhamni or Ya Razak. They'll turn to uh, a statue of Ar Razak and worship that or, or turn towards it in prayer, and then gradually that becomes a separate deity. This is the kind of what happened, if you will throughout human history. It wasn't an immediate thing, it was a gradual uh, accretion of different practices and different um, tendencies that, uh, that gradually led to uh, the build-up of idolatry. Uh, given the Kaaba's primordial importance, what is the reason for Muslim prayer to initially be directed towards uh, Jerusalem? Well, the, the, the initial Qibla was towards Jerusalem um, because the initial um, it's well. It's a, it's it's in many ways there are many different interpretations and readings of that. Um, initially, the Jewish and, and Christian community were already oriented towards Jerusalem, um, and Jerusalem is the second holiest site or the third holiest site in Islam. But back then, it was considered extremely holy, uh, holy uh, site and very important. Um, according to the story that I've unfolded today. Um, uh, the intention uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala was always going to redirect uh, um, uh, Muhammad to uh, the Kaaba, um, and in, in in directing the early Muslim community towards Mecca, uh, to, towards Jerusalem, he was testing the Christian and Jewish community uh, at the time. Uh, this is one of the one of the understandings that I've come across myself. Um, uh, how do you, how should we understand Adam and Hawa's relationship with the evolutionary process of man? Um, well, that's a big question, whoever asked that question. That's, uh, that's uh, several lectures uh, wrapped into one. Suffice it to say that um, um, one has to really uh, understand what, what do you mean by evolutionary process of man? What is meant by that expression? Um, uh, I'm reluctant to answer the question, not because it's not answerable, but because it's extremely vague. Um, if by evolutionary process of man, we mean the development of man through history, that's one thing. If we mean by evolutionary process of man, uh, the evolution of the human form from uh, uh, single cell organisms into ape-like creatures, then into a human being, that's also uh, a pro problematic notion. So it really depends on how, how we understand the notion. Um, and Maybe we can get into a different session uh, to answer that question. Uh, you mentioned the last stop during the flood. Are there any other occasions where this occurred other than this year? Well, it's happened several times in Islamic history itself um, during periods of plague, uh, during periods of war. Uh, it's not the first time that the Tawaf has stopped. Uh, however, there are very interesting traditions uh, where Allah SWT, in the sacred traditions, Allah SWT says that the um, the, um, that the the, 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 the Mecca, the Kaaba is never without Tawaf. And if there are any, a shortfall of human beings performing Tawaf, then the angels make up for the numbers. Uh, so in, in one way, it never really stops. Uh, only human circumambulation, perhaps, I suppose, uh, can stop. Um, 
uh, can the reason for the ascension from Jerusalem as be a reflection of our human nature, not necessarily angelic nature? Um, I honestly don't understand the question uh, there. Uh, uh, angelic. Well, we, we, I mean, we don't we don't have an angelic nature by, by definition. We're not angels. We're uh, we're something else entirely. Um, but what do you mean by ascension from Jerusalem? Uh, I, I don't know the. If you can clarify that question a little bit, please. Um, Anti-clockwise movement in circumambulation, it seems like uh, unscrewing a screw, i.e. going upwards and anti-clockwise back in time. Could this symbolize going back to our origins? Absolutely. Um, uh, not so much back in time. This, this is um, a very interesting point. To, I'm glad you mentioned that question because it really um, brings out so many issues. Um, but the one thing I want to emphasize really is the origin, our origin is ever present i.e. our origin with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not something that's in a distant past. It's here and now, but vertically upwards. And so it's not so much that we're going back in time, it's that we're, we're going back through the, the various levels of reality and existence through which we, through which we descended to get to this point. Um, the notion of going back in time is, is a very, very much a... Um, a, uh, a common idea found in evolutionary theories of history, where we have to go back to some kind of primordial state distant in the past. If, if by time you mean uh, going back to a state in which early human beings had a much more uh, immersive understanding uh, of God or immersed in the reality of God, then, then I can agree with that. Um, uh, but the, 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 uh, the, the movement of circumambulation is really a vertical spatial movement in which, yes, one is unscrewing a screw in order to go back to, uh, to origins. Uh, the Mahalaj of Rasulullah Sallallahu um, So, um, <clears throat> let's, let's, uh, let's clarify the question a little bit more. Uh, the question I also asked, just said, um, Given, can the reason for the ascension from Jerusalem be a reflection of our human nature, not necessarily our angelic nature? Um, well, as I said, we don't have an angelic nature per se. Uh, we're not angels. Um, we're something else. Human beings are something else. In some traditions, human beings are considered above angels, only insofar as uh, we are granted the capacity to choose, and therefore the choice, uh, the choices we make of following Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and serving Allah Subhanahu wa Taala and achieving a certain state of perfection uh, allows us to attain a state higher than the angelic in which angels have no choice uh, except uh, but to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So uh, in that sense, um, uh, I meant that it would have been simpler to ascend from Mecca. Ah, okay, so, um, well, uh, I still don't understand the question, simpler to ascend from, from Mecca. Um, there's a purpose in which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had uh, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam go all, to, all the way to Jerusalem. Um, it, 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 it's considered a very important sacred space in Islam. Also, the, 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 the fact that he prayed uh, jama'ah in all the prophets in, Masjid, uh, in, in, that, in, in Jerusalem is it, significant. That he went horizontally first. Um, he went horizontally first um, to that place in which he 
uh, led all the prophets um, in prayer and all their nations behind them, as it were, um, affirming, affirming that he is the final prophet, uh, followed by all other prophets, and then ascending up, upward to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Um, okay, so that's all the questions for today. Thank you very much, inshallah. I hope I've been able to answer as many questions as possible. Um, I do apologize for some of the issues that I wasn't able to address in this presentation. Um, the issue of the Kaaba and the Black Stone and Mecca, a um, very, very vast topic. And I wanted to keep it as concise as possible, inshallah. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.